are uh, in a series that we have titled, Are You Happy? And this is our fourth iteration of that series. And we've kind of been asking the question and really just the main focus of it is just this question, like, are you happy? And that seems like such just like a loaded question, but like generally it's like, hey, you doing okay? Because I believe, and we've been talking about recently, that there are some things that come to rob us of happiness. That if we're not careful, if we don't pay attention to what's going on on the inside of us, we'll start living lives that don't look happy at all. And if they are happy, it's just based on momentary circumstances or things going our way. See, I believe that this book, it talks about a life with Jesus that is not just a circumstantially happy based life, but one that's deep and it's rooted in something that's significant, not just on good days, but on your worst day. Can you lift your head and still believe that God is good? That even in the midst of storms, you're anchored to something that's immovable. And I think for a lot of us, if we're being honest, our answer to that question is like, nah, I just haven't been. I have these moments of happiness, but I, I, I desire this thing with God that gives me life every single day. And my hope is that through this series, we have just kind of skimmed the surface on maybe asking some really important questions and talking about a few things that maybe you haven't considered yet. My hope tonight is that we jump into this specific text. We can talk about something that we haven't talked about just yet. Um, if you have a Bible tonight, anybody got a Bible tonight? A couple people? Physical Bibles in the room. Anybody? Yeah. A couple cell phones raised? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. If you've got a Bible tonight or if you're taking notes, we are going to be in the New Testament tonight. I know a lot of you are so excited we're out of the Old Testament. Anybody excited to be out of the Old Testament? Yes. Come on. Jesus. Yes. Awesome. Great. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. We're going to be in the book of Mark starting in chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 starting in verse 30. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to get there because I want to give you a little bit of a, a disclaimer. You know how on like the, you know, the medicine commercials, they like tell you all the things that are going to happen to you if you take this medicine. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I want to give you a disclaimer because I believe that this sermon I'm preaching tonight is going to be a little bit different than ones I've preached before. Um, and what I mean by that is, is I don't really have points, which is very strange to me. But the reason that is, is because I don't want to leave this text. I want to sit in this text. I kind of want to camp out and just take it moment by moment and tell this story because I believe for a lot of us, we experience the Bible secondhand and through someone else's interpretation and lens of seeing it. And I want to just sit in this for a bit so you can see it for yourself. Because for me, I read this this whole week and I just was asking so many questions like, how does this fit with this and how does this fit with that and how come this is the only one told like this in the Bible? And so... If you don't know what we're talking about, if you're not there yet, I'm talking about a specific story. It's actually two stories, two miracles that happen on the same day, back to back. The story of Jesus feeding 5,000 and then Jesus walking on water. And I know for a lot of you, those seem like two separate and distant stories from each other, but they're actually the same story. And that the gospel author of Mark, Mark himself, is saying these things have to be understood together. They can't be understood at all. Does that make sense? You riding with me? You ready to read? Is everyone there? If not, too late. Okay, I'm going to read it, all right? Starting in verse 30. It says that the apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and taught. Jesus, right before this, he sends the 12, two by two, out to cast out demons and to pray for the sick and anoint them with 
oil and people were healed. And they're excited. They're coming back to Jesus like, Jesus, look what all we did. So this is an excited moment, right? They come to him and Jesus says to them, hey, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no opportunity even to eat. I'm never that busy not to eat. I don't know about y'all. I ain't missed any meals. You can probably tell, but I'll never get that busy, okay? So they're busy. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? A little sarcasm by the disciples. The boldness of a disciple to get sarcastic with Jesus. I just just can't get past it for me. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves. And gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This isn't including women and children. This is just 5,000 men. So this is probably closer to 15 to 20,000 people being fed here. It says then, immediately, right after this, immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was done or alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for all They saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. I want to work from the title tonight, Piece by Piece. Not a really... Sexy title by any means, but I want you to touch your neighbor, and just for the last time, just touch your neighbor and tell them, piece by piece. I need y'all to get a little energy in the room. Piece by piece. I love it. I love it. You know, we've been um, we've been talking a lot in this series. Are you happy? Right. We've talked about a lot of different things. We talked about shutting the door on some things that have come to steal life from us. We've also talked about watching your mouth because your mouth shows what's on going on in your heart. Last time we talked about the lonely place and sometimes God will lead us to a lonely place so that we can be people who stand up when everyone else is sitting down. Tonight, I really just want to to get behind this question that we've been asking. Are you 
happy? It seems kind of like a trick question because I know for a lot of us, some of you are like going through a hard time right now. And this is a very easy question. Are you happy? And you're like, nah, dog, I'm having a real bad time right now. I'm not happy, not happy. I'm not even happy with you right now, sir. Others of you, when you get asked that question, you like feel bad. You're like, yeah, I'm happy. Should I not be happy? This is weird. Why are you asking me this? Anybody? Yeah, happy people in the room? I'm a happy person. So I'm like, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I'm, I'm great. Okay. Stop asking me weird questions. But there's another group that are kind of in between where I'm asking you, like, hey, like, are you happy? And you don't really know how to respond because, like, you have every reason to be happy. Like, you've got good stuff going on. Anybody, like, got good stuff going on? But, like, when you get asked the question, are you happy, you're like, it's, it's not that stuff's not good. It's just that, you know what I mean? It's not that you don't, like, have, like, great friendships and, like, good stuff happening. You might maybe even making, like, good grades. But, like, there's just that thing, you know what I mean? Where you're fine, everything is good, but just tired. Yeah, anybody? Anybody? That's you? Kind of like, that's me? Yes, God, that's me. I'm in the middle of taking tests. I need your help, Jesus. Thank you. That's me. I think for a lot of us, we get into this place of feeling like there should be things that we're happy about, but it's just not what we expected. Anybody? My life is good. It's just not what I pictured. Some things that should have went one way didn't go the way that I thought. And so now, instead of being ecstatic about life, like life is fine, but I'm just, okay. Yeah? I want to talk to that person tonight. Because I believe for a lot of us, the reason why we walk through life tired isn't because life isn't good, but I think a lot of times we are met with these unmet expectations. And it leaves us in a place where we're like, man, I wish this looked different. It's just not like I pictured. For just the sake of a illustration, just so you can have in your mind, I, uh, I had to steal this from my eight-year-old. She was really excited about putting it together. Um, anybody like Star Wars in the room? Anybody? A couple of people? Yeah? So, like, I think for a lot of us, this is really slanted, so I don't know how this is going to work. So I'm just going to hold it like this. Cool? Yeah? Um, I think for a lot of us, we have, you know, we come into life. You probably came into college. You stepped into a relationship. You stepped into a fraternity or sorority or a friend circle, and you had this expectation. You had this picture in mind. Yeah? Anybody? You had a picture in mind? And then, like, something happened, and reality didn't look like the picture anymore. And what happens in this moment is that for a lot of us, when we have this expectation of what life should be like, we have this picture of what our life should look like, and it doesn't happen, we have to ask the question, um, hello? Did you not see the picture, God? It's, it's right here, my life, the way I wanted it. Why are you not getting down with what I'm trying to get down with, you know? Anybody? Anybody that honest with God? I'm honest with God. I'm like, God, I thought, I thought we had an agreement, an understanding that, like, this was what was going to happen. You know what I mean? Anybody? 
where like the thing that should have happened didn't happen and you're just left like with this space of like, God, do you care about me at all? Really, do you care? Because I wanted to be an X-wing and you got me out here looking like a duck boat, okay? I don't know, it's just like I'm not, it's life's not looking like what I expected. It's not the reality in which I thought it was gonna be. You know, for a lot of us, whether you know it or not, you're living your life with a picture, with the expectation of the way that you expect things to go. And unfortunately, you're going to live enough life to see that life, unfortunately, pretty much never goes the way that you expected. And that just makes me ask the question, where have you gotten your picture, this picture for your life? Like, where did you get it from? Because whether you know it or not, while you have a picture for yourself, and it might look like this, God also has a picture for your life. And maybe it doesn't look like this. And my question for you tonight is, are you okay with it not looking like this? Some of you don't like Star Wars, and so you're super okay with it not looking like this. But for sake of illustration, are you okay with the things that you thought were going to happen not happening? Are you okay with that? Or are you going to hold on to your picture? Because I think that's the thing that robs actually a lot of life from us. It's not that we're not happy. It's just that we're disappointed that it didn't happen the way that we thought it would. Yeah. And some of you are like, where the heck did you get that out of Mark 6, bro? Okay. thought this is a sermon, not a, just a, a Lego story. Okay. But I do have a point. And if you pay attention to this story, you'll start to see pieces of it that you didn't expect to see. See, Jesus, in this story, he is inviting the disciples into a moment with him. And the disciples have an expectation. They have a, a picture. And you're like, show me. Okay, all right, you ready? Here we go, here we go. Verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. I'm here to tell you that that did not happen. This vacation was not a vacation. Anybody been on a vacation that turned out to not be a vacation at all? Whether your mom or your dad or your sisters, they had like all these activities lined up for you. And you're like, I didn't have none of those activities lined up in my mind when I thought about vacation, okay? I made the mistake as a husband recently of making a vacation that wasn't actually a vacation. And I told my wife it was vacation and it was not a vacation. Let me just tell you. Everybody, everybody with me? Sometimes the expectations can keep you from receiving the thing that you thought you were going to receive. That's a word for somebody. So they're going, they're coming and going. They have so many people coming and going that they can't even eat. They're tired. They just got back. Jesus is like, hey, I know y'all been working hard. You know what you need? You need a vacation. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Like, I need you to, I need you to see Jesus how I see Jesus, okay? I know like y'all see Jesus and the disciples as like these like perfect humans that just like are robotic and we read the Bible that way. But I'm trying to give you like a little flavor to it because if you put flavor to it, you can see stuff that you didn't see before. Because whether you know it or not in your Bible reading, this is just a tip. The basic human emotions have always existed regardless of culture, time, place, language, everything. Being upset about un, like 
expectations not happening has been going on. Husbands have been mad at wives. Wives have been mad at husbands for a long time about unexpressed expectations. You with me? And none of y'all are married, so I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> relationships, friendships, your life, like people get upset. That's the thing that's happened since the very beginning. And so with this, we have to look at this as not these two-dimensional people, but these are real people in a real story and is communicating something to us. You know, my first point that I kind of want to get at tonight is that Jesus will often lead you to a place of unmet expectations because he's trying to teach you a lesson that you would never learn if he didn't take you there. That Jesus himself will lead you to a place where it is nothing like you pictured so that you can see a picture that you would have never seen if he didn't take you there. You following me? Does that make sense to you? That God will upset your expectations to teach you something that you would have never learned unless you had been upset? You with me? I hope that gives you some hope. Because I think a lot of us, we think that God has like abandoned us when our expectations aren't met. But the reality is maybe he is trying to teach us something that he never could have taught us if it looked like the picture. Y'all with me? So Jesus in this moment, he is asking them to come away for a retreat, a vacation. And what happens is they pull up and there are so many people, over 5,000 men only. So about 15,000 people run and beat them to where they're going, which is crazy because they're going nowhere. A desolate place means like nothing is there. Think like a desert. They're going to the desert. Like there's nothing there except the disciples and Jesus. And so Jesus, in this moment, he has compassion on them because he's Jesus, right? And he teaches them and he makes them sit down and the disciples, you can kind of feel like the shade being thrown. You can kind of feel it. There's like a little saltiness in the air. And it's not just the, the sea right there, okay? Yeah, y'all like, okay, give me my pity laugh because that was funny. Okay. So they come to Jesus. Hey, man, these, this crowd, like, hey, it's getting late, bro. Like, Jesus, I get you got to do your teaching thing. Like, your God, I, I get it. I get it. Ball out, bro. But see what had happened was, we thought that this was for us, not for them. Okay, they got to go. Get them over to go get their own food. L like, let's get back to what we came here for. And the reason why I know this is intentional by Jesus is because of the way that Mark sets up this story. For those of you who are not familiar with the story of feeding 5,000 and Jesus walking on water, it is the only story other than the, the crucifixion and the resurrection that happens in every single gospel. Does that make sense? It's told in all four of them. Here's the kicker. They're all told differently. Why is that? Let me prove it to you. In Matthew, Peter is recorded as the one that steps out and walks on the water to Jesus. A whole, you know, seeing oceans before. Yeah, that's what that's about, Peter. It's the only one that he does it in. Isn't that crazy? Out of the four Gospels, only one of them has Peter walking on water. It's Matthew's Gospel. What's even crazier about this is, is that Mark is the Gospel that Peter is responsible for communicating to Mark. This is Peter's Gospel. Mark is Peter's Gospel. If I would have walked on water, I would have told everybody in the mama I walked on water. You feel me? That would have been in my story, and that would have been in my Gospel. 
first hesitations, Blake walked on water. That would have been what it was. I would have made a point for it to be seen. But it's intentional that it is omitted. Not only that, but Jesus walking on water himself isn't even recorded in the book of, uh, the book of Luke. It's not even there. You can go look. It doesn't happen after the 5,000. It's just the feeding and then done, nothing. In the Gospel of John, it's like a two-sentence little summary about Jesus walking on water. But this one, both of them are told in such detail and told in such a way that it leaves us, the reader, to feel as if Mark, the author, is being intentional in what he's communicating. Does that make sense? That's how Bible study works. You see, like, why is the author putting the things on the page that he's putting on? Like, what is he trying to communicate to us through this text? And what he's trying to communicate is that Jesus is not interested in a vacation. Jesus is interested in a lesson, that this is intentional. And what that ought to tell us is that Jesus is so intentional about everything he's doing in your life. Nothing just happens by accident. Jesus is not just like making this whole thing happen. He knows. They are so well known. Jesus knows he's not getting away with this. The whole part in front of this, of of Mark chapter 6, it talks about how popular Jesus and the disciples have become. That they can't even hide. That Herod thinks that John the Baptist, who he had killed, is Jesus. Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected. He full out believes it. The, the, the king of that area thinks that. So if he knows, the nobodies who have issues that need Jesus know too. And they come running. They come running. Jesus is not getting out. He knows. He is leading them to a place where he promised one thing, but they get something completely different. He is leading them to a place of unmet expectation. And I believe that Jesus will lead us to a place of unmet expectation because he has a lesson that he's trying to teach us. There's something in our life that he is trying to lead us to that we wouldn't see without that moment. So Jesus, in this, he's, he's leading them intentionally. It's not by accident. You know, I love uh, how both of these miracles, they just kind of fit together. The disciples, they come to Jesus and they're saying, hey, man, it's time for them to go. It's our time. And Jesus, he responds in the most Jesus-like way. He goes, you feed them. And the disciples are like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Us feed them? We can't afford to feed them. A year's wages wouldn't even be able to feed them. You want me to, you want me to drop that kind of money on some bread, Jesus? Come on, bro. That's the, that's the feel that these disciples are leaving with Jesus. And Jesus tells them, no, you feed them. And he asked them, which is just so funny. I'm like, why did, why did Jesus ask them how much they had? And, and if I was them, and if I would have answered, I would have just said, not enough. How many loaves do you have? Not enough. Like, that would have been the answer. Why would they say five and two fish? Do you not, like, do, do you not read it that way? I, like, I read it that way. Jesus leads them to this moment. And it's for a reason, and the reason is that he is trying to get them to see him, him in a way that will shape the way that they view him forever. Because I believe that we only are able to truly understand God by our experience with him. Does that make sense? What I mean by that specifically is you will never know God as a provider until you're in a place where there's nothing else but him to provide. 
It's the only way you're going to know it. Otherwise, it's just theoretical and theological, and it's not helpful to your life. Does that make sense? When God steps in and does something and changes something, that's the moment that you say, I'm not worried. God's going to provide for me because he already did it. I know him to be true. I know him to be a provider. I don't just think him to be a provider. Does that make sense? He is trying to give them an experiential reality with him that changes their discipleship, their way of following him and interacting with him. I love the way that Jesus actually performs this miracle. I know that for a lot of us, we don't think about how he could have performed it. Jesus, in this moment, he says to the disciples, those that are not able to provide this, he says, hey, you provide for these people. And they respond, we can't. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't magically snap his fingers and make bread appear. What does he do? He takes the bread that's theirs, and he breaks it. The first part of this miracle is that these disciples had decided that they're in a place where there's nothing. And they have to give out of their little with the expectation that Jesus isn't going to leave them hanging with nothing. I know for a lot of us, we don't realize that we don't see miracles and things happen in our life. We don't see God move the way that we are actually asking him to because whenever he asks us to take the first step, we lead in with our hands closed around the thing he's asking us for. And you don't realize that the same posture of giving is the exact same one of receiving. These disciples, they have to open their hands up to Jesus to perform a miracle. And without them opening their hands up, there is no miracle. Do you see that? There also is no ability to receive the 12 baskets full at the end of this without them having their hands open as well. Does that make sense? The thing I love the most about this, and I'm just going to get into it. I want to give you a picture of how this miracle took place. You know, Jesus, he, uh, he goes to him and he says, hey, you, uh, you give them something to eat. And they show up and they're like, all right, bro, I got you. And I, for the sake of, uh, forget that I use this for the first illustration, okay? I'm just on a budget, all right? You know what I mean? The way my bank account's set up, I got to check in. Sorry, anyway. Uh, somebody got that joke. Has this been helpful so far? You bored? No? Yeah? Okay. Jesus, in this moment, with these disciples, he, uh, he asked them for something. He asked them for some loaves of bread. And uh, I know if I was those disciples, I would have looked at this and said, like, feeding 5,000 people would have just, like, been easy if you would have just, like, made that happen. Do you know what I mean? Like Jesus, I, I think the way that we see this miracle is that Jesus, like, snapped his fingers, broke bread, and then there was a whole Walmart behind him full of bread. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, the, like you know, have you been to Walmart or Kroger, wherever you go shop? Whole Foods, if you got money, or living not in Nacogdoches? Trader Joe's? You just see the loaves of bread, like, behind in the little bread section. Do you know what I mean? For 5,000 people, you know how big of a one? We're talking Sam's Club times two, bro. Like a lot of bread, all right? Jesus ain't breaking bread like that. It's not happening like that. Like I, I don't know what you're seeing it as, but I need, I, and this seems, this seems dumb, and I'm, I'm making a point. Because I need you to see this story differently. Because it really does, it really does matter for your life. I promise. Just give me, a, I know I'm silly, but give me a second, okay? You with me? Okay, stick with me, okay? 
Jesus in this moment, he tells them, hey, I want you to give me some bread, right? Disciples come to Jesus and they're like, this thing's giving me issues right now. Okay, anyway, I dropped one. Okay, they probably dropped some bread along the way, you know what I mean? It says they picked up the extras. That was probably the extra. They come to Jesus and they open-handedly give him these pieces, right? These loaves of bread and these two fish. And Jesus, he looks at them. He, he, he says, okay, thank you for the bread, Heavenly Father, you know. Appreciate you, bro. All right, break bread, right? And what does he do? He gives the pieces to the disciples, right? How many times do you think they had to go back and forth to Jesus to give bread to 5,000 men, fifteen to 20,000 people? Exhausted and tired already and not even enough time to eat for themselves. It would have looked like this. Here you go, Jesus. Breaks the bread, gives them to the 12. The 12 go. Give them to those people. And they got to go back. Pretend Jesus said that right there, okay? And they got to go back. And they get a, they get a little bit more. And then... They go back again to another group of people. And they give them those pieces. And then they come back again. Y'all think I'm being silly. I'm doing this. I want you to see this because I don't want you to see this story completely different. I never want you to see this story the same way. Never. I never want you to see this story the same way. Get some pieces. Just enough. Just enough they can fit in their hands. It's not too much. It's just enough. And Jesus, when they optically see what he's doing, they don't see a big bag of stuff. They see the same bread that they left there with. Can you imagine the faith of the disciples to see Jesus on the first time to do this, for him to break those loaves? There was just enough for those 12 out of those five loaves and two fish. All they would have seen, there was enough for them to take a handful, a basketful. They didn't have like this big basket. They had a little baskets, a basketful. From that, leave, give it to somebody else, go back and see the exact same amount. There is no Sam's Club version of bread behind Jesus that's just like, blue, 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 blue. this is not happening. It, it's the same thing. They're coming back to the same amount. It's not too much. It's just enough. It's just enough. It's just enough to give them enough to go take it to this group of people and back again and back again. And back again, and back again, 5,000 family units of times, 5,000. What do you think that communicated to them? That the provision from Jesus' hand is always just enough as you need it. It's never more than you can carry. It's just what you need. I think a lot of us in here, we expect miracles in our life to look like this, but we're offended when Jesus just gives us enough pieces to make it happen. Does that make sense? 
where you're like, God, I need you to move in my life. I need you to like break through. Like, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. Like, I don't know how I'm going to have it. I'm eating ramen. I'm dying in college. Like, I don't have enough. I don't know how I'm going to pass my classes. I'm using everything that I have. God, can you just provide for me? Can you do something for me that can change my life? And he's saying, do you have enough humility and faith to come back to me for just enough? Not too much, but just enough. And to go back into your world, into your life, and to love people when you're tired. And to go back and say, Jesus, I need it again. I need it again. I I know that you don't have to. I know that I can just carry what I can have in my hands but I trust you enough to keep coming back. Can you imagine what they would have thought after the first group? Like, oh, hey, yeah, uh, this is awkward. You're the only one's going to get bread. And he goes back, gets more, goes to the second group, more, goes back again, more. Every time you go to God, he's going to give you what you need. That's what he's trying to say, that he is the provision, that what they thought was little in the hands of God is much. And it's in the breaking that the multiplying happened. And in your little bit, God will lead you into moments where you feel like you're being broken up. Where you feel like everything that you've got has got to be given up. And you're like, God, are you even going to provide for me? These hopes and dreams that I've been holding on to and the things that I want for my life, I have to let them go and trust you with them. And then when I look at the picture and I see I'm never going to get to the thing I thought, are you satisfied enough to just trust him that he's just given you a piece. See, God, he builds our life not in big moments where he puts the whole ship in front of us. He builds it piece by piece. You know, for a lot of us, we, uh, we get frustrated when God doesn't do it the way that we expected. And he doesn't do it the way that we thought. And I think a lot of times we've made a couple trips down and back and we thought it was cool, but we just credited it to maybe he just really tore the pieces up really good. Maybe he was just real, you know, you can make some pizza go a long way if you just cut it a little bit extra, you know. But it says they stuck it out and they did enough so much so that everyone was satisfied. Not only that, but there was enough left over for them. 12 basketfuls left over for them. Right before this in Mark 6, at the very beginning, Jesus tells them to go out, to go tell people the good news of the gospel, to cast out demons, to deal with sickness and pray over people. And he tells them, don't bring anything. This is a, another moment where not only are they provided for physically, they're provided for in such a way that they can see that from then on, it's Jesus is the one that's the provider. That they actually, in kind of a cool way, they get to be the ones that provide. Because they're actually the only ones that actually get to see the miracle. Everyone else can see the results of the miracle. Everyone can see that everybody got fed. That's a big deal. But they weren't the ones dispensing it. I think a lot of times for us, we don't realize that God is actually asking us not to just be recipients of a miracle, but to be the people dispensing it. And if we don't get in the way and say, no, this is about me and not about you, that we get to be people who say, I can freely give 
even if there's nothing left for me. There's something in a disciple, a person that loves Jesus that says, even if I get nothing out of this, if there's nothing in it for me, it's enough if it's enough for them. And the thing I love about God and the thing I love about Jesus so much is that he never is unaware of our, our need. He's never unaware of our need. He always sees it. He always sees it. That's what I believe is the connection point to this next miracle. These disciples, right after this moment, right after Jesus steps in, does this impossible, crazy miracle of feeding 5,000 family units of people, a huge amount of people. It says immediately, immediately. Like it almost is like it happened, boom, not even enough time to talk about it, not enough time to like really even eat the bread that they just got. Maybe they did, but immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening, evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. You know, that stuck out to me because I don't know if you've ever felt this. I know I have. You know, when you're tired and you feel like you've been doing the right thing, at least you've been trying to do the right thing, and none of your expectations have been met, but you still stick with what God's told you where you're still holding on in faith, believing that better days are ahead and that it's not always going to be like this and that just because you're in a season where it's hard, whether it's a heartbreak or something you expected to happen that didn't happen and you're tired because you're let down. You're just sticking with the last thing he told you and these disciples are in that specific place. They're in a boat headed to the other side, just going off the word that Jesus told them. Hey, I'll see you on the other side. Take off. And it says that they are painfully making way. Two steps forward, three steps back. Two steps forward, three steps back. Two steps forward, three steps back. It says it's the third watch, fourth watch of the night, which is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. They've been going all night long. No food, no rest. They're exhausted. And you know, this might not be for everyone. It might just be for the ones that you've been trying for a long time. And you've been waiting for a better day for a long time. Whether it's you've been struggling with anxiety for forever and you're like, God, when are you going to take this off of me? You've been waiting for God to show up in your life and do the miraculous and all you feel is that you've been making these steps forward, but it's been at the expense of, like, your soul. Like, it's like everything that I got in me is trying to move forward, but I feel like I'm not moving anywhere. Anybody ever been in that place where you feel like no matter what you do, you're just not making the steps and the progress that you thought you would get? These disciples, they're, they're struggling. And what's funny is this vacation with Jesus has now turned into this 
battle for their lives by themselves on an open sea without Jesus. And the fact that it says that in Jesus meant to pass by them. I don't know about you, but whenever you're in that place, it's easy to feel like God is intentionally passing you by where he's intentionally not answering your prayers, where the answer from heaven just feels like you're just praying to a just an iron curtain, like a, like a ceiling that's keeping you from getting there. Am I talking to anybody? Just me? Where you feel like no matter what you do, it's just not enough. You know, I love about this story, and the thing that actually is my favorite part about it, It says that while he was up on the mountain, he saw them. They were way out on the sea and he was alone in the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. I don't know if you're in that place, but just because you can't see God doesn't mean that he's lost sight of you. Let me say that again because I think for a lot of us when we're in that space, we feel like this isn't what I pictured. God must be out of the picture. I'm here to tell you that if you've ever found yourself in a place where you felt like God was absent, I'm here to tell you he's never taken his eyes off your life. That he's seen every moment, he's seen every struggle, and the reality of this text is not that he meant to pass them by and leave them hanging. The reality is, is that this is a callback to when Moses was on the mountain and God passed by him to show him his glory. That Jesus in this moment is not trying to leave them hanging. He's trying to show them who he is. That he is the one that brings peace. He is the one that walks on the seas. He is the one that in the midst of your painfully moving forward, he is the one with his hand on your back saying, you can make it. I'm with you. I'm for you. And I'm building your life piece by piece. I'm, I'm building your life in a painful way. And the reason why it's painful is because if it wasn't painful, you'd never learn. And not because in a mean way, but because you would leave without him. I think about David, the psalmist. He, he talked about how his prayer was, God, don't give me too much that I'd forget about you. And don't give me too little where I would steal. But give me just enough for today so that I might worship you. The thing I love even more about this story is, is the hidden parts of it. You know, in Bible study, they always tell you to mark and highlight things that get repeated. And at the beginning and the end of this story, the people see them get on the boat and they recognize Jesus. And then right after, when they get on the boat and Jesus calms the storm, they get to Gennesaret, and it says that the people immediately recognized him. I found that so funny that the people that know him most and have just seen a miracle are unable to recognize Jesus in the midst of the storm. It says that they saw him and thought he was a ghost. Guys, I'm here to tell you, the deepest moments of your life where you see God for who he really is will be the easiest moments for you not to recognize him. 
it would be the easiest moment for you to think that he's just abandoned you in it and it's time to go back. It says that they were going painfully into a headwind. That just tells me it'd be easier to go back than it is to go forward. And I think that's the temptation. It'd be easier for me to go back to what I once knew. It'd be easier to go back to the life that I once lived. It'd be easier than to stick with this and be faithful and believe a God who would let me experience the hurt and the pain that I've experienced. Like, God, have you lost sight of me? Do you not see me? Do you not see that it's nothing like the picture I thought it was going to be? And my heart is broken. God, I'm tired. I wish it would change. I wish it would change. I wish you would do something. And God is quietly saying, if you could only see, if you could only see that I've never lost sight of you, if you could only see that I'm building your life piece by piece and it's by faith of keep showing up, even when I just give you what's just enough, not too much, just enough. It's in these small moments with God where we get to see him for who he really is. In the text it says that Jesus, Jesus commanded them to sit down in the green grass. I found that funny that he had to specify that the grass was green, not the brown grass, not the dead grass, but the green grass. And it's a, it's a alliteration, it's a callback to Psalm 23. What's so funny is this past week, I uh, my my daughter, she uh, <laughs> we were at a soccer game, and she just out of nowhere, she just starts quoting Psalm twenty three. You know, me and my wife have been going through a really hard time, and uh, I heard that little girl say, "The Lord's my shepherd." There's nothing I lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Jesus leads them on this for them to never forget that he's the shepherd. That it's always been him that's going to be the one to bring the peace. It's always going to be him to be the one that brings the provision. Not them but him. I think a lot of times when we see our life not go the way that we pictured, we try our best to just make it happen ourselves. We try to pick up the little pieces that we have and God's like, if you would just give me that peace and you would just trust me with the pieces of your life, you would see that I'm doing something bigger than what you understand. I'm trying to show you that I'm a good father, that I'm the shepherd who loves you, who lays down his life for the sheep. And that I'm not withholding from you, but I'm building something in you. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus himself, he did not die for you just to save you and get you to heaven. He is making a partner in you, that you are the bride of Christ. He is trying to make you into something altogether different than you ever thought you could be. Holy, without blemish, without spot or wrinkle that he is trying to build in you something so glorious and so beautiful that nothing in this world can comprehend it. 
And the hardest thing about it is there's so much of the world in us. There's so much of this brokenness in us that sometimes he has to break us to shape us. And it's hard because we look at God like, why are you not doing good stuff to us? Why are you not giving me good things? Why are you not answering my prayer? Why are you making me struggle? Why does it feel like everything I do isn't enough? And I just felt like God was speaking from the pages. He's like, I led you here because I want you to be different than when you came. You know, I have had this, uh, this reoccurring just image in my mind that I've seen that I just reminds me of like the season of life that sometimes we find ourselves in. I don't know if you know anything with wood shop or any type of thing like that, but there's this machine called a lathe. And what a lathe is, it's this, it's this piece of machine that spins. And you pay, you you place this piece of wood on it. And a lot of times that wood is rough around the edges and it's ugly, it's ugly. And what the guy who runs that machine, what he does is he gets these metals, metal tools and he scrapes off pieces of this wood of this lathe that just keeps spinning. And you just see stuff flying off. And you don't see what it actually has turned into until it stops spinning. And for some of you that you felt like your life's been out of control and that it's not stopped spinning and you feel like at every turn it's not going the way that you thought. And I just want to tell you tonight that God is leading your life in such a way that his picture for you is better than any picture you could have had for yourself. Ephesians 2 says that you are his workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand for you to walk in them and I believe tonight that for some of you you've been in a hard spot and you've wondered if you're enough and you wondered if you're going to see it through and I just want to tell you tonight that God has not lost sight of you he has not taken his hand off your life but he is leading you and he's building your life piece by piece.